Welcome into Seven Innings Podcast on TV. Our fans have made our podcast such a hit. We're coming to you every week now on Wednesdays on television. But don't worry, you can still hear the pod on all of our streaming platforms. Joining us today, we have an all-American cast. Every single woman on this show is an all-American in her own right. Amanda Scarborough, Michelle Smith, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and Madison Shipman. So let's get things started with the number one team in the land. What is making Oklahoma so challenging, Amanda Scarborough? I think it's all the things, Holly. I mean, Oklahoma this year is doing a little bit of everything right to the point where they're still undefeated at 32-0. and Now, they did have a couple of close games. Baylor really took it to them as well as UAB. But still, Oklahoma is a team that is able to find ways to win. Those are just two of the games that have been close this season, but that's not really how it's been. They have been run-rolling their opponents left and right. A high percentage of their games have been run-rolls. Now, you guys, when I came into this season, I had a question mark for Oklahoma that was more about their pitching than their hitting. We knew that they could hit. We knew that they were bringing so much offense back from that national championship run. But this season, with Jordy Ball stepping up, the freshman phenom for them, she has led their pitching staff as well as a transfer in Hope Trotwine. So while there was a question mark, For their pitching staff, they've added those two arms, and as well as having Nicole May, to have the best pitching staff in terms of ERA in the country. So that's their pitchers, but of course we know that Oklahoma is going to be able to swing the bats too. They also have the number one batting average in the nation. So they have a list of All-Americans all throughout their roster. They can hit the long ball, and get this, you guys, they've hit 85 home runs and only struck out 83 times. So their big home run hitter, you know her by now, it's Jocelyn She broke the home run record earlier this year uh, in Hawaii, and she has now hit 104 home runs. She's their home run leader. Anytime she steps up to bat, she has the ability to hit it out of the ballpark. But don't sleep on players like Kiara Jennings and Grace Lyons, really one through nine, y'all. This is an Oklahoma offense that is truly the best offense in the country. Well, you know, it's interesting, Michelle Smith, I think that addition of Jen Rocha to that pitching staff has really been impressive. Of course, we know what a great job she did with Florida, but how impressed are you with these pitcher, the pitchers that we maybe didn't expect to be so dominant? Yeah, absolutely. I think not only is she a great pitching coach, she's a great pitch caller. And that's really one of the keys that you see at these elite level programs is that not only do they have great arms in the circles, they have masterminds in the dugout that have every statistic available to be able to beat you. And so what they do is they chart hitters, they see where they're weak, and then they attack those weaknesses. But Jen Rocha absolutely played at Oklahoma, was outstanding at Florida as a coach. Patty Gasso brings her back to Oklahoma. And I think that's been a huge difference maker Absolutely for the Sooners. They are just really tough in the circle. And they have a lot of different views and a lot of different mixes. I like that Jen Rocha does that too. She's not predictable. So she says, all right, we got a good arm up. We're going to develop someone else down east and west. So they're very diverse in, in every way in the circle. Okay, speaking of dominant in the circle, we have got to go out west because I think when UCLA graduated the two-time player of the year, Rachel Garcia, people weren't sure how the staff would look for the Bruins. But Jenny Dalton-Hill, they have picked up right where they left off another fantastic staff with Megan Ferremo. They are really great. And Holly Azevedo is a great number two, have been kind of surprising this year. Definitely have come out strong, and it's been an impressive start for conference play for them. They are a perfect 9-0 in conference play. They've swept Arizona, 
they've swept Washington, and they've swept Oregon. So for them, they've been able to come in and be dominant in conference play. What does that mean? Well, it's the only the second time that they've ever been able to start conference 9-0. and The last time they were able to do it was back in 2019 with that special name you just said, Rachel Garcia. And if you'll remember what happened in 2019, they won the national championship. So this UCLA team is definitely dominant, and it's the pitching circle that has done well for them. But don't forget the bats. The bats are swinging it. They've got Maya Brady. They've got Delaney Wiz. They've got home run power. They have RBI potential, and they are absolutely dominant when it comes in to the their batting lineup. They're playing solid defense. They've got the home run wins. But Madison, what else are you seeing? Well, Holly, I think you touched on it right at the beginning, uh, talking about UCLA, was their mindset coming into this season. They've always been a team that has graduated some phenomenal players in their program, people like Rachel Garcia. But what that does when they graduate, it gives other players on the team an opportunity to step up big for them. And I think we've seen that in other ways for them throughout this season as well. Earlier on in the season, Aaliyah Jordan was their go-to bat. She goes down with an injury. Somebody else in their lineup steps up. Kinsley Washington becomes that big-time hitter. Well, we haven't seen Kinsley Washington in the past couple of games, so who is it that's going to step up for UCLA? It's Seneca Kuro. It's Savvy Pola. It's Delaney Wiz. They're able to get it done one through nine, and that's one of the reasons why they've been so successful so far this year. Okay, we've got a lot of other good action coming up in the pack this weekend. Amanda, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that Arizona State series. Yeah, absolutely, Holly. And I know that UCLA has like a 24-game win streak going on and is playing really well, but Arizona State has their own win streak going on too. They're on a 14-game win streak and have been playing really well. In fact, they're the only uh, other undefeated team left in the pack. So I feel like this is a really defining weekend for Arizona State, who I feel like needs to just go in and sweep Oregon. That that series will be in Eugene. I feel like they need to sweep Oregon in order to, to continue their Pac-12 championship run because the way that you UCLA is playing, they're just not going to lose. And so hope maybe at the end it comes down to Arizona State and uh, UCLA playing each other for the Pac-12 championship. But when I think about this series, Holly, this is a, two teams that didn't make it to Super Regionals last year. Oregon, they lost to Texas and Austin, and then also Arizona State lost to Virginia Tech. So two highly motivated teams, but they each have their edge in their own right. Arizona State has a better pitching staff. They also have a little bit more power, but Oregon has a slightly better defense and also a little bit more speed. So it'll be interesting to see this matchup. We'll have it on ESPN2 on Friday and then ESPN News on Sunday. So I can't wait to see these two go head to head. Well, and back in Pac-12 news, there's some big names that are definitely not in the conversation when it comes to the top of the rankings. Arizona swept by UCLA at home, shut out in three games. That had never been done in Tucson. And, UC and Arizona is sitting at the bottom of the Pac-12 for maybe the first time ever. And then you've also got Washington, who came in second in the Pac-12 last season, sitting near the bottom of the rankings as well in the Pac-12. Gabby Plain, the Australian Olympian, very sharp last year, but has an ERA in conference play over four. So not as sharp in the pitching circle, but don't count out Bailey Klingler. She is on fire, making a huge name and a great run for Washington. But it just comes down to making sure they are good in the circle so that they can out hit what's going on there. 
Okay, well, UCLA, Arizona State, one and two in the Pac-12 standings right now. That Bruin ERA, 0.76, doing it in the circle. Really exciting stuff there. Okay, we've talked a little bit of the left coast. We want to keep things fair and go a little bit down to the right coast and the Sunshine State in Florida. Coming up next, we will find out about some big series coming up this week in the Sunshine State. Stick around. Seven Innings Podcast on TV. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back into the Seven Innings Podcast on TV. I'm Holly Rowe. Our fearless leader, Beth Mowens, will be back next week. She had some travel issues. But let's get to the SEC. Michelle Smith, a huge showdown right now between Alabama, who was in first place, and the Florida Gators. What have you seen? Because you were there in Tuscaloosa. What does Alabama look like up close and personal? Well, Alabama is always going to be a strong team. I mean, when you look back over the SEC and uh, the dominance of uh, of this conference, it's always been Alabama. It's always been Florida, really, uh, for the last 10-plus years that have been vying for that regular season championships. And Alabama, no difference this year. I think the big surprise might be, you think, the Aces, Montana Fouts. And she is obviously very good, but um, she stubbed her toe a little bit lately. Well, do not fear for the, the Bama uh, faithful because Lexi Kilfoyle has been outstanding right behind her. So Montana Fouts with all that velocity, 70 plus miles an hour, likes to locate the curveball on the outside corner. She can throw a rise ball away from lefties. I think the one thing that is missing for Montana Fouts is a change of speed. I know that she's going to work on that the next couple years, but Fouts has just been dominating. Lexi Kilfoyle in game three against UGA throws a perfect game. How about that? She gets the start in game two, wins that. She gets the start in game three. She throws a perfect game. Uh, and oh, by the way, a, a Shipman, an Alley Shipman hit the walk-off. Maddie, I know you were watching that and uh, I'm sure cheering for your sister um, to really complete that game. But Alabama has been doing just an outstanding job. They put runs up on the board, so they're a lot of fun to watch. But then on the flip side of it, you look at Florida. They also have a very good pitching staff. They pitch a little bit more by committee after Elizabeth Hightower. She is definitely their ace. She's definitely worked on um, moving her pitches around. A good rise ball, she'll throw low and inside with a fastball. But it's an off speed that's really helped her develop being able to throw three different speeds. And that's really a key. What I think is an intriguing about this matchup, besides the drama that Skylar Wallace is now a Gator instead of um, an RTR, a, uh, you know, that, that, that's going to be a big thing. So that is definitely going to be drama. But what I think is outstanding about this Florida pitching staff is only seven times this year have they given up more than four runs. They have been outstanding. Only 17 errors on the season, so they rely on a very good defense behind a freshman pitcher and Lexi Delbury, who has been outstanding, throws very hard. But again, I think a lot of the um, the weight will be on Hightower and seeing how she throws against Alabama. I'm excited about this. I think this is going to be a typical matchup between two of the, the clubs that we always see at the top of the SEC. You know, it's interesting because this year, you know, it's been either Alabama or Florida win the SEC so many years in a row. But this year, when you take a look at the standings, there is some separation between these two teams. And Madison Shipman, I was curious about your opinion. What do you think of the SEC standings right now in the season with Arkansas in second place, Tennessee in third, and the Gators all the way down at fourth place right now? Well, guys, I learned at a very young age that I did not want to be a pitcher. I was not suited to be a pitcher. And you do not want to be a pitcher in the SEC this year. It is absolute madness. The hitters are so good. They make adjustments so quickly. And I think this is going to be one of those years where you're going to see an SEC champion with six or seven losses on the season. It is tough to sweep an SEC team because they're able to make adjustments so quickly. So that's why it's so important 
to have that key number two pitcher that can come in and throw some big innings for you. And I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the coaches that I have talked to this season, they are managing innings of their ace. They are trying to keep them healthy throughout the regular season so that they're ready to go for the postseason. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so many lopsided games already early in this season. Okay, are we just not going to talk about these really fancy graphics? Did you just see the dirt fly across the screen? I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? This is a really cool show. Our podcast on TV, I'm already very impressed. Good job, everybody. All right, let's turn the page a little bit. We've talked SEC. Let's go to the ACC because I just want to say to everyone in America, I told you so, about Virginia Tech. Do you remember how high I was on them at the very beginning of our very first podcast this season. And part of that is because of Keely Rochard and her confidence she had with the team. Well, ladies, they are in for a fight. Madison, they are going to uh, Florida State, the the one and two right now in the ACC. And this is going to be a really great series that might decide the championship. I am so looking forward to watching these two teams face off against each other. You have such great pitching in the circle for both of these squads. First off, I'm going to start with Florida State in the circle between Katherine Sandercock and Danielle Watson. They do such a nice job of filling up the strike zone. They attack batters. They force batters to put the ball in play because they have one of the best defenses across the nation. And I think they're a really good combo between the two of them. They complement each other well as far as what they throw. Katherine Sandercock likes to work that drop ball low in the zone. She's going to change the eye level up in the zone as well. And Danielle Watson has some really good velocity. She has some really tight spin on her pitches, able to move it throughout the strike zone. So it makes it really difficult for these batters to be able to prepare against both Katherine Sandercock and Danielle Watson. But guys, this Virginia Tech team, I have been so impressed with, of course, in the circle between Keely Rochard and Emma Lemley. They both had that dynamic rise ball. And yes, I was a rise ball swinger as well. So I guarantee I would have hacked and missed about 45 times off of those pitchers, but they are so good and their offense has really picked it up as well. I'm right there with you, Madison. I was susceptible to the rise ball too. Big hitters, big swings, big chances. And the rise ball is the one thing that really can expose a weakness in a swing. But Keely Rochard, able to fill all quadrants, throws a great rise ball, but has a nasty mix of speed as well. We're seeing her with a ton of strikeouts this year. And they brought in a freshman, Emma Lemley, who has done a great job in the circle, backing her up, getting quality innings. This pitching staff has 322 combined strikeouts to just 46 walks, a ton of control of the, of the strike zone. And their hitters, Virginia Tech's hitters, are the hardest to strike out in the ACC. They have the lowest strikeouts as hitters. So not only are they able to strike you out from the circle, but they're definitely hard to strike out when they're hitting. Amanda, what else are you seeing? Well, I just think that Emma Limley has big, been one of the biggest additions in the entire country to any team. We talked about Jordy Ball earlier for Oklahoma, the freshman pitcher for them. But I feel like Emma Lemley is just as explosive with her stuff. She throws hard, up in the zone, great movement. And I love the big game experience that she's already gotten this year as Pete DeMore, their head coach, has really relied on her to take a little bit more burden off of Keely Rochard because Emma Lemley is made for the big moments. However, one of the things that stuck out to me in my preparation for this series is the fact that this might be one of the, the highest ranked ACC matchups ever top five going against each other like this this clearly shows the growth of the ACC and they just haven't seen Keely, FSU hasn't seen Keely Rochard that much at all and so I'm interested to see how she goes up against them she only threw 12 innings against them last, last year 
Yeah, this is a true staff, Amanda. It's been very impressive. Their staff ERA, 0 0.80. Keely Rochard, 14 and 2 on the season. And Emma Lemley, what a great addition at 11 and 2. They are using both pitchers a lot. Can't wait to see this weekend what happens with Florida State. All right, so. Let's see where we're going next here, because we have got some fun things to talk about. I, I know that Jenny Dalton-Hill, you have been a softball mom for most of your life. Your daughter is playing Division I softball. But when we come back, you are going to introduce us to the softball dads and see what they are contributing to the sport and pouring into their young daughters. We'll come back right after this on 7 Innings Podcast on TV. The father-daughter relationship is its something that I wish every woman on the planet had. He was the one to always take me to practices. I remember him showing me songs. If I had to choose one genre for the rest of my life, it'd be classic rock, because that's like all my dad would play on our way up to lessons. He's a huge reason why I'm the athlete and the woman that I am today. He's always gonna have my best interests at heart, and he's always gonna keep it honest with me. Like, I'll give up home run or something, and. He'll call me like three days later and be like, oh, I think that ball just dropped. He's definitely my biggest fan. It really is nice to know that like, regardless of the outcome on the field, like I always have that to go back to. He just made sure that I was always at practice. I was always taking lessons. I think about my dad and I think about, we hugged each other after we clinched the SEC title and I just started crying. Like dad, like this is exactly what we thought would happen. I'd definitely say I was a little daddy's girl. We hit with the life light balls in the backyard and he would pitch to me or we would go to a park and he would throw a front toss. He did not miss a thing. My dad has always been my, my number one coach and my number one fan. I love my dad to death. He's always been pushing me and pushing me to be the best person that I can be when I committed to Alabama. I remember he sat me down and he just looked at me and said that I am so proud of you. That meant the world to me to have him in my corner. My dad, he's definitely my best friend so we've been through a lot together and I've told him pretty much everything that I've wanted to accomplish I have and he's been right there to see me do it. My dad really put it in my mind that it's not about winning, it's not about losing, it's about did you do your best? You know softball dads are hard on you but they also want you to be the best that you can be. So much love to all of the parents. Moms, we know you're holding it down too, but softball dads, there seems to just be this special connection. And Jenny Dalton-Hill, I know you've got a daughter playing and, and you've got some special memories you want to share too. Well, I think it's cruel that you play that emotional piece and then toss it to maybe the most emotional announcer that you have here at ESPN. I am trying to hold it together. But Hello. it comes down to, I was, I played for a softball dad. I married a softball dad and I raised a softball dad. My son married um, and now his wife is coaching a high school team. And so I see it from a lot of different lenses, but I think everybody around the country knows that if the softball dad is not sitting on a bucket in the dugout, you know where to find him. He's by himself down the line out in the outfield because he can't sit by any other parent because he can't handle all of the comments and he wants to make them under his breath too. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. And then there's the pitcher's dads, right? Who probably sit right behind home plate and have a lot of information that they want to give, but they're trying to hold it in. But I don't think softball dads like the car ride home 
just as much as we didn't like the car ride home. It comes down to they want to give us the information, but they know how emotional it is and they know they're, we're not trying to screw it up. I think Title IX, though, has given an opportunity for us to not just have softball dads, but now softball moms, because most of my generation are now taking the field and guiding their daughters and pushing them in ways because they've been in their shoes. So I don't know about you guys, but my dad, he was the one that pushed me. He was the athletic director at my high school, and I played at the high school that he attended when he was in high school. There was a lot of pressure, but he never missed a game. He was at every sporting event that I ever participated in in high school, and you know it, they got in the car and they drove all over the country when it came to travel ball time, and there was not an opportunity that they were ever going to take to not get to the postseason when we went to the Women's College World Series. So I don't know about you guys, but softball dads, they're pretty special. Madison, what about you? Well, Jenny, I could not agree with you more. My dad was my biggest cheerleader. He was my biggest supporter. And he just pushed me from the very beginning. And now then you're talking about those car rides home. I'm getting flashbacks to being stuck in traffic on the 405 in L.A. for longer than I wanted to be stuck in traffic with my dad talking about whatever game had just happened. But I knew at the end of the day, no matter what he was trying to coach me on, I knew that he was always going to have my back. He was going to be my biggest supporter. So that was something that I always appreciated out of him. And I cannot thank him for enough. But what about you, Amanda? What's your favorite softball dad memory? Oh, I have so many. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Madison's nails because I just saw them for the first time and they look really, really good. So um, back on track to the dads. My dad was seriously my favorite catcher ever. He wasn't an All-American, wasn't All-Conference, like wasn't an All-Star in high school, but I loved pitching to my dad and getting those moments and any type of field down the road or in our backyard or before or after practice. And so I, one of my biggest memories is just being nine, 10 years old and waiting for my dad in my driveway to get home from work. He would work all day, have a, a, a job where he left the house at six and would come home at about five. And I would have my gear ready for him, his bucket ready, his glove, and he would never complain. He would immediately go and catch me. We would go and pitch together. And so he taught me the value of hard work, honestly, and just keeping your head down, grinding and not complaining and knowing that the hard work is going to pay off. Yeah, Amanda, I couldn't agree more. Those moments where your dad is catching you, I feel like that's you know, some of the best memories when I look back of my development um, as a pitcher. Growing up in New Jersey, a lot of times uh, in the wintertime, if it was a nice spring day, and the, but there was still snow on the ground, I, I'd be like, Dad, come on, I want to go pitch. And he'd be like, there's snow on the ground. I'm like, I'll shovel it off. He's like, kid, you're crazy. But I think my best aha dad moment was when uh, one day we were going out to pitch and I saw him grab the sponge off my mom's sink to put in his glove. And I was like, I made it. I'm burning his hand through that glove. So that was, I think that was my favorite aha moment for, um, for me was realizing that uh, my dad, all those uh, years sitting on a bucket, working a, a glove that probably wasn't a catcher's glove and having to steal the, uh, the sponge off the sink to, to help protect his hand. So guys, I was so distracted by making sure that I thanked my dad for everything that he did for me growing up that I forgot to share my favorite softball dad memory. And my favorite memory of my dad would have to be at the Women's College World Series in 2013. I love the tradition where whenever you hit a home run, the ball goes immediately back to the family. And after that game, 
I saw him holding up the ball and the, the face of pride that he had was something that I will never forget. And again, so thankful for everything that he has done for me in my career. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because I have gotten to do the interviews with the dads in the stands. And I think my very favorite dad memory was Danielle Laurie was pitching, but her dad was flying in from Canada and he had like a planes, trains and automobiles problems. And he got there late and he comes running down to the stands, um, like in the second or third inning and he sits down and, and I go to, to interview him and he is so focused and so intense. Like I still, to this day, am terrified of Danielle Laurie's father, but I know that he poured so much into her and her brother, who was an MLB player. And I just want to give my dad a shout out because I didn't play college softball, but I did play rec league softball for many years um, with my dad. So we were players together. And I think the really cool thing is he taught me how to be competitive. And it's probably my best quality and my worst quality, but I, I got that all from my dad. All right, we'll stick around. So much love for the dads out there. Of course, moms, we love you too. Don't feel left out. We know you hold it down in so many ways, but that was our special tribute to dads. Coming up next, we want to honor someone who is continuing to inspire all of us in the world of softball. Everywhere you looked last weekend, you saw Teal, teams around the country continuing to keep the memory alive of Alex Wilcox. Coming up next, we will tell you why she meant so much to all of us in softball. She was so lighthearted about everything. I feel like nothing ever, you know, shook her. So I think that that's probably, she had those traits for a reason because she went through what she went through. So I don't know, I think all the people across the country that supported her really made a difference in like how long she fought for. I want people to remember about Alex that she was a fighter in everything that she did. I have a quote that I wear on my bracelet that she said, it says, uh, keep fighting and keep pushing every single day. And that's exactly what Alex did. She gave 100% in everything that she did. She didn't want to feel like she was doing less than anybody else. She always wanted to do equal, if not more, than everybody. She loved softball, loved sports. She didn't complain about it. She was always happy to be there. To me, Alex is an example of how I should live my life. Um, I think about her every day, every time I step out on the field. We do prayers before the games, and I always talk to her. Her drive and she just she knew what she wanted and she went after it. And so I take that to softball. I play for her. She's my why. Um, and so I just try to honor the game and honor her. This weekend means a lot to me just knowing that Alex will never be forgotten. I always have her bracelets on my wrist or something on my glove of her and the no one fights alone hashtag on my glove. And I miss her very much, but I know she's always with me and I think she's inspired so many other people. She's just brought so much passion to this sport. I think no one fights alone means that you're just a part of a big family. You know, whatever you're going through, you have a whole conference, you have a whole team, and you have a whole community that's behind you. And, you know, nobody is ever gonna make you feel like you're going through something alone. It's special and people, um, I see people on Twitter all the time using it, like their teammate that is in Iowa, I don't know, is going through any kind of cancer. And it just shows that the softball community cares. And I think that people really cared about Alex. and. It means a lot.
It is so important to all of us in softball to keep her memory alive. Um, Alex Wilcox died of ovarian cancer in 2018. And uh, she meant a lot to me because I was going through my battle with cancer at the same time she was. And uh, she would go through chemo, go have her treatments, and then come back and practice with her team. She did eventually get an at-bat and get a hit with her team that season. And it meant a lot to me because I was going through chemo as well. And I couldn't imagine uh, going to a practice or playing softball because everything hurt so bad. And I'm just, I'm just proud of that young lady. She really fought hard. And we are so proud that they are keeping her memory alive. She meant a lot to a lot of us. Michelle? Yeah, Holly, it's um, just an incredible story. And what is always so moving to me with Alex is that every video and picture you see of her, she always had a smile on her face, just very inspiring. Um, her sister, Cassidy Wilcox, is also a softball player. She plays for the University of South Alabama, and she talks about how much she misses her sister. And I feel like to all of us in the softball community, Alex is our, our softball sister, and uh, it just inspires us in so many ways. Beth Tarina is also... Um, uh, very involved with the movement and uh, does a teal walk every year. And there's a great picture of Cassidy and her sister Alex together. And you can just see their softball sisters and what they shared growing up together. And so um, I think collectively the softball community, we become um, Cassidy's uh, softball family as well. And Beth Tarina does a great job every year of having a teal walk. And she's always adamant. She always asks whenever we have broadcasts, please talk about the symptoms because the problem with ovarian cancer is that a lot of times the symptoms are, are, can be vague at times. And a lot of women, they don't realize or understand that they have ovarian cancer until it's too late and it's already in late stages. So she says, please just continue to talk about them. It's pain in the abdomen, bloating, indigestion, fatigue, loss of appetite, weight loss. And as, as athletes, as women, we, we basically understand our body. So whenever anything seems a little off, please go get checked out. And uh, I, I'm just so glad that our softball community has really um, rallied behind Alex and will continue to, uh, to keep her memory uh, alive and, and this great cause. Yeah, and one of the campaigns that they also continue to have in honor of Alex Wilcox is the No One Fights Alone campaign. And I know that's a phrase that Mississippi State will use a lot within their program. I thought that it was just one of those incredible moments that on Saturday, which was the official All for Alex day, although it was an entire weekend, but um, Saturday was the main day that Teal was warm. Mississippi State actually won eight to three. And Alex, as you saw in the video, she was number eight. So think about just how incredible of a moment that was for Mississippi State, but they won that game on Saturday and they scored eight runs for her, but she never gave up her fight to play. She was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2015, actually, and just continued to play softball for so many years after that. And she's just a true inspiration to all of us. You know, she was a really high-level prospect. I remember, you know, when she came into Mississippi State reading up on her bio, and she was good. You know, before she before she became ill, she was such a good player. She was kind of a legend in high school in their state. And, um, you know, it's hard to see someone struck down in their prime when they are an athlete. But she worked so hard, and she was a great little softball player in her own right. Jenny? Well, and this one's hard for me to talk about because she's right around the age of my daughter. And so when she was going through that fight at Mississippi State, all I could think about was my own family. And so in that moment, I looked to her parents. 
looked at the sacrifices that they made to be able to have her still live in the dorms, have a college experience knowing the difficulties that she was going through, but also giving up that time with her to be able to let her have that time of a freshman year in college. And that one hit came in the No One Fights Alone tournament that they had at Mississippi State. But just an emotional time for all of us to be able to reflect on the things that matter most and to be able to take an extra moment to just give a hug to the people that we care for. And I got an opportunity to talk to coach Samantha Ricketts before last weekend. And last weekend was actually the first time that they had played the all for Alex game on the road. And she said, as a coaching staff, they really went back and forth on it. Do they play it at home? Do they play it on the road? Ultimately they decided to play it on the road because she thought it was really important for the team to see how other programs celebrate the legacy of Alex Wilcox. And of course, more importantly, to spread that awareness of ovarian cancer and its symptoms. And she told us that Alex was just one of those five-star athletes. She could pitch, she could run, she could hit, she could truly do it all. But she wants her to be remembered for her impact and her influence through her fight. Well, I can promise you this. We will keep her name and her memory alive forever in our softball community. We'll be back right after this on 7 Innings Podcast. Welcome back in. It is time now for Shaggin' Stats. I am sorry, ladies. I'm pulling myself together. We're going to get it back on track here. All right. Let's shag some stats. Here we go. Shaggin' Stats. Madison, you're up. Well, I might not be as fast as Kayla Bro, but I do know that I stole a shagging stat from Michelle Smith a couple of weeks ago. So I'm staying on that stolen base train. And Alexis Johns for South Florida leads the nation in stolen bases with 30, 38 already this season. Now, those are some serious wheels. Yeah, it really is. And I actually have two shagging stats. I feel like there's somebody on the podcast that usually brings two to the plate. And so that person's going to be me this week. So USC Upstate has five pitchers on their pitching staff. All five have an ERA under 1.50. Then let me transfer to my other one is Allie Bunker for Oregon. She has had 566 plate appearances in her Oregon career, and she's only struck out 22 times, which is just incredible. Amanda, that was amazing. And guess what? You guys, because you have stole my stats so often, I came up with two also. And so I'm going to give you both of them. The first one is Olivia Lackey, who's the teammate of Cassidy Wilcox at South Alabama. She was outstanding last week, 2-0, 21 Ks, uh, two, just two walks. So a really nice performance. But my second one that I think is a key stat, so maybe this isn't a shagging stat, it's a key stat. It's for the Virginia Tech. Uh, Florida State series, and it is that Florida State has 170 walks to just 139 strikeouts. Virginia Tech, 79 base on balls or walks to 120. So for me, it is going to be most important. Whoever wins the freebie war, I think wins that series. Well, and last week I brought in the visor, so I felt like I needed a prop for this week as well. So I brought my uh, high school bat that I would notch my home runs on because I'm a home run homer. So my stat this week actually has to do with home runs. The top 10 teams in the nation have combined for 638 home runs. That's just 10 teams. That's a lot of long balls and that makes this girl happy. 
Okay, I'm just really jealous that we can bring on props for the TV show. So next week, you better look out. I'm gonna have Prop Central right here. Um, but I'm gonna find Michelle. She had too many stats, so I'm, as the moderator, I'm finding Michelle <laughs> for going overboard on her stats. Um, my stat is Bailey Klingler, and I'm very excited because someone brought her up earlier. I think it was you, Jenny. And I was like, oh my gosh, if you're about to steal my stat right now, but you did it, you just said she's on fire, and you are correct, because Bailey Klingler, uh, Grand Slam, she is a senior for Washington, had a Grand Slam this weekend, but not only that, three home runs, she was on fire. She now has 17 home runs for the season, and I just think Bailey Klingler is somebody that we could be talking about more. And that was just one stat, Michelle, Amanta. So get it together next week, girls. All right. So I sorry, think I, not I think sorry. I also thought segment. Jenny was squaring was around good. to bunt whenever she grabbed the bat. <laughs> I, I was for real like, oh, wait, you're putting in notches on your bat? I've heard of notches on something, but it wasn't for bats. Um, all right. Let me get us back on track. And uh, I, can't, I can't see, so I'm looking at the format like this. Um, let's go to, we're taking a break. We're going to the mailbag. Let's get ready for our questions from the mailbag. We have got the best listeners and viewers. So let's go to Lucas from JVA. Which pitcher, pitcher or pair of pitchers do you think has the best chance to beat Oklahoma? And how will a team be able to defeat them twice at the Women's College World Series? Amanda. <laughs> Could you tell I wanted to answer that one? And I also think that maybe we've all been thinking about this question for multiple weeks, but I swear in the past couple of days, like I've really been thinking about this. I think maybe because Virginia Tech just played UCF and so Virginia Tech is on my mind, but I think that Keely Rochard and Emma Lemley would have a great chance of going up against Oklahoma for this matchup. They both have explosive rise balls and I kind of feel like what it takes to beat Oklahoma's offense is to be able to go hard up and in on their hands and those two rise balls are deadly. They can also change speeds well, Michelle. I think that they could potentially get them. Yeah, I think those are uh, two pitchers. What about, okay, maybe I'll be a little bit of a homer here, Oklahoma State and Kelly Maxwell and Miranda <laughs> Ellish. Those are two pitchers that can dominate. And Maxwell's that great lefty spin. She can ride that ball underneath the hands of all those power righty hitters. And then Miranda Ellish is starting to really find her own rhythm. Great rise ball. She's been mixing speeds. I think that's going to be the biggest key is you got to take away the power. How do you do that? You got to mix speeds. Is that? Well, guys, Alabama just no-hit Georgia yesterday. So, of course, I'm going to go with the duo between Montana Fouts and Lexi Kilfoyle. And, yes, Montana Fouts has had some rough outings, but I think she's still somebody that brings that good velocity. She has good movement. And I like the rise ball up in the zone, but Lexi Kilfoyle was unhittable. Georgia's hitters, their swings are tailor-made to hit drop balls, and they still could not hit it. So, for that reason, I think that Alabama's pitching staff could surprise Oklahoma. Jenny, what do you think? I like the Alabama, I like the Virginia Tech, I like the Oklahoma State, but guys, Megan Faremo, remember she got hurt last year before the Women's College World Series, did not travel to Oklahoma City, has not pitched against any of the Oklahoma hitters. I think UCLA has this one because they relied on the arm of Rachel Garcia last year at the Women's College World Series. This year they've got Megan Faremo, Holly Azevedo and Shaw to be able to come against them. I think that rise ball susceptible against a long ball hitting Oklahoma. 
Okay, I feel awkward because Patty Gasso is gonna be like, why are you all trying to gang up on Oklahoma right now? Uh, but I know that was the question. Um, I think it's really interesting that we're just assuming Oklahoma gets the Women's College World Series. Um, I think there's still lots of good competition out there. So let's turn the page. Who are the top five to 10 freshmen this year? I feel like we're not talking about that many this season. That comes from VT sportscaster, Craig Robert Fain. I'm gonna start on this one before somebody else steals it. I think Jordy Ball from Oklahoma has been one of the greatest surprises. Patty Gasso warned us about her way back in fall ball. Like, watch out. Jordy Ball is going to be fantastic, and she has been. All right, who's next? Yeah, Jordy Ball has been outstanding, Holly. I think one of the other great hitters that we haven't talked a lot about is Michaela Edenfield for Florida State. She has been strong behind the dish, outstanding. She's got a 359 batting average, 15 home runs, 43 RBIs. I like Dallas Goodnight. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of them. Emma Emily, you just there's a there's a ton of them. Addie, what do you got? Michelle, you're looking at my list. You have to be looking at my list because that's exactly <laughs> who I have on my list. But I'm gonna add one more because she's a phenomenal player, but also because I just love to say her name, Savvy Pola. It just rolls off of the tongue, you guys, but she might be small in stature, but she can hit the ball a long way and she is so much fun to watch. Who do you have, Amanda? Well, it does just roll off the tongue, doesn't it, Maddie? Um, I'm going with Mia Scott at Texas. She is just a tremendous triple threat on the left side. She's fast. She can lay it down. She can hit drop bombs. I mean, she does it all. And then also Mac Morgan from Arizona State. I feel like she's been such a big addition to their pitching staff and a big reason why they're still undefeated in Pac-12 play. Well, and those are all great names. I've got one more to add to the list. She came on my radar early in the year. Olivia Johnson at Washington started her career with a home run. Next at bat, home run. Next at bat, triple. I mean, she came in with a fiery bat. She's fun to watch at Washington. Okay, I was very distracted during all of your answers because I can see in the monitor and Michelle Smith is like grooving to this music. She's just like... <laughs> I'm like, can, can anybody see Michelle Smith dancing? This this is like, I, I don't know, but this beat is like making her happy. I'll just say that. All right, let's go now. Our next question is, and no, I can't see. That's why my phone is this close. Uh, softball watch, besides speeding up the game, what is the advantage for the battery calling their own game? Let's start with Michelle Smith. Well, Holly Rowe, I think she uh, besides obviously the pace of play, I think that nobody else can see the, if I can stop grooving, uh, nobody else can see what the hitter's adjustments are better than the battery, the catcher, the pitcher. You should be able to see that. You can see the nuances in the middle of the swing. So I think for just being able to play that little bit of yin-yang, cat and mouse game that the battery plays with the batter, that is it right there. You know how to attack them based on what they're doing. What do you think, Amanda? Yeah, I agree with you, Michelle, and I think that there's no better way to just listen to your gut as a pitcher than being distracted about looking at an armband or what your catcher um, is doing, also looking at the armband. I mean, it keeps you just so locked into the game, and I feel like it's a huge advantage for that battery, that pitcher-catcher connection. Um, so that's why I like it. I mean, I also do like the fact that it, I feel like it speeds up the game, but Jenny, what do you think? Well, Michelle and Amanda, you guys would know you've been the one in the circle, but when it comes to being able to be effective, it comes down to making sure that you definitely know the swings. You can't make this change though at the collegiate level. We saw what happened when with the out of the box call for slappers, we need to hand this back 
to the younger players, make them learn the game, and then it will transition into the collegiate game a whole lot more smoothly. All right, we love it. Thanks for your questions in the mailbag. Keep it coming. We love our fans and viewers. Okay, so the last thing we're going to do before we get out of here today is we want to get ready for the postseason. It's hard to believe I'm just looking at the calendar, and it's going to be the SEC tournament before we know it and the last week of the regular season, that first week of May. So we want to get you excited for postseason, and here's what I wanted to say. I'm just coming off of the National Championship for Women's Basketball and the Final Four, and ESPN had the best ratings in two decades. It peaked at 5.9 million viewers watching women's college basketball. And I just want to say that's where we're headed for softball. I think softball is growing. It's going to be one of the most exciting. And you can see all of the great information coming up for postseason. We have all of it right here. Look at this. Conference Champ Week is going to be epic. Then we've got the NCAA Selection Show coming up, and then we've also got Regionals coming up, Super Regionals, and the Women's College World Series. Remember, Oklahoma City has a bigger, better, expanded stadium. So I think we're just going to have epic softball coming up in the postseason, and you can see all of it right here on ESPN. All right, ladies, how did we do? We missed our fearless leader, Beth Moens, but I think we were all very good. Thank you so much for being with us. You're going to see us every week on Wednesdays. Be sure to check out Seven Innings Podcast right here on TV, and of course, you can listen to the podcast on all of your favorite streaming options. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. We'll be back again next week right here on Seven Innings.